Hello, hello, hello. Bank Holiday Monday, not the top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. The banks are closed, but the pods are very much still open. I'm Ali Maxwell. I'm with my friend and colleague, George Ellick. It's a big one. Hello, George. To you. How are you? (laughs) Yes, I'm great. I'm great. It's such an unbelievable time of year. This is going to be a two-parter, partly down to the bank holiday itself and also down to the fact that Today, Monday, there are two championship fixtures, Rotherham against Middlesbrough and Blackburn against Luton. And as we were planning the show today, we realised that both games are quite important for both the relegation picture and the playoff picture. And given that we want to paint pretty pictures with our words at this stage of the season and and make sure that you guys have clarity on what's happening as we head into the final weekend of the season, it felt like talking about the championship before those fixtures had been played, we'd be painting without, you know, the colour blue or something like that. So instead, today, Monday, is League One and League Two special reflecting on the weekend that was. And then tomorrow, Tuesday morning, we will put out part two where we will talk about the championship, the big stories from the weekend and set up final day. Just one weekend to go in the EFL regular season. Today's show will be what happened and what does it mean? So let's start in League One. George, in Devon... Plymouth Argyle beat Burton 1-0. That's what happened. What does it mean? Plymouth Argyle are back in the championship, back in the second tier of English football. It's been one of the stories of the season and it is done. It's done, mate. It's done. They are up. They're going to be playing championship football next season. And I think when you stand away from, you know, the we've known all season that Argyle are a team vying for promotion. But if you just step back... And look at a couple of moments in their recent history. First of all, losing a manager in Ryan Lowe who'd taken them out of of League Two. I mean, I guess actually, first of all, the fact that they were a team who fairly recently looked like they might be losing their EFL status entirely, having been a a championship side not too long ago. Um, You know, it's important to, especially when you consider the impact that the owner Simon Hallett has had at the club. Um, You've got to look at where they've come from. And that was, was it a point? I think they were um, away from being relegated to to the National League. 2010, relegated from Champs to League One. 2011, relegated from League One to League Two. 2012, finished 21st in League Two. 2013, 21st in League Two. That's 10 years ago. Uh, They've been up and down again in the meantime as well. So you consider then the... You know, the appointment of Ryan Lowe and his assistant Stephen Schumacher was such a smart one to lose Lowe and you know I don't know if you remember but there was it was widely reported at the time that Schumacher was going to be going with Lowe to Preston uh, which would have meant that that era and that kind of um, you know that the people in charge of, of the playing side of things for the promotion would have moved on but they managed to persuade Schumacher to stay and last season they went from being a team who were on the fringes of automatic promotion to missing out on the playoffs altogether. And the the means by which they did that was to get humbled on final day 5-0. Like, that is mentally going to be an incredibly difficult thing to come over as a group of players and a group of fans, especially when you consider how competitive League One is and when you think about the Sharks that are in League One at the moment. So for them to put that aside to, you know, in in terms of the players they lost who played a key part in last season as well, but to recruit well again and mount this incredible promotion challenge. And the reason why I think this is so impressive is that often when you get surprising results in terms of promotions, it's because the league is very poor and very tight and therefore it doesn't need, you know, a a big tally in order to get get promoted. Argyle are on 98 points with one game to go. If they beat... um, who is on final day? Uh, Port Vale, 
if they beat Port Vale on final day, they'll get to 101 points in a season. And that is going to finish above Ipswich Town, who are one of the best League One sides I think we've ever seen uh, and have spent a lot of money to get there. And Sheffield Wednesday, who's again, whose um, resources dwarf what Argyle are able to offer. And Argyle are doing this whilst turning over a profit, which is just incredible in terms of sustainability and the way that all clubs should look to progress their football club off the pitch whilst going for success on it. They are just a total example of how a League One, a League Two, however you want to look at it, how an EFL club should go about trying to achieve success. And I'm over the moon for them. They've done it. They've also created this kind of siege mentality about their position. And we've seen that in the reaction of the interviews of the players and the managers and the way the club talk about it, where it's kind of no one gives us the time of day. I'm not entirely sure that's true. And I'm not just talking about us. Um, but I think it's a really useful tool to have. And I think that's probably a, a big reason why they've been able to do what they've done is because they've created this idea in their minds that they are being written off. And that has been able to instill not only a promotion-winning side, but a team who've scored so many goals late in games, who've been behind a lot and come back from from from, from when they're behind. I, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see what their motivation is like come, come Monday. I, I do think because of the bank holiday, Sorry, sat on Sunday. I do think because of the bank holiday and therefore, you know, the extra day between games, maybe, you know, whether it's Ipswich or, or Plymouth Argyle, they can go on a bit of a, a celebratory bender and still manage to, to come back on, on Sunday refreshed and ready to go. Um, but, you know, from the scenes we saw, I'm not sure uh, how much the title matters to them because they are up and that's what they set out to do at the, beginning, at the beginning of the season. They've done it in some style. They absolutely have. The football that they've played this season has been so exciting, has been so attacking and they have happily left themselves open in the pursuit of scoring more than their opposition. And I think, you know, from purely neutral perspective, that's how I would like most teams to play. That creates entertaining, dramatic football. That creates a lot of goals, a lot of shots, the sort of football that you want to watch as a neutral and, of course, as a fan as well. To have been able to do it and end up so regularly on the winning side uh, has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, you mentioned it there. They have they are one of the, the model clubs in the EFL right now. Um, what they're doing off the field, which we learned a bit about over the last few weeks uh, in terms of in the, in the community, both in Devon and in Cornwall as well, uh, is absolutely unbelievable. They've increased their presence so much on that front. Um, Simon Hallett, you, you mentioned he's... I don't want to go too far because it sounds a bit weird, but I'm 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 almost obsessed with Simon Hallett and the way that he runs this football club. Um, he would be the first to say that actually focusing on him would be the wrong thing to do. There's an incredible board. There are some unbelievable people in all departments who've been appointed by Simon to do their jobs uh, well and. I just think the whole tone that is set from the very top, from from him and from the board, uh, has has made such a big impact into the last few years, in particular in handling things like the traumatic end to last season, things like Ryan Lowe leaving for Preston North End, the swiftness with which they acted and the confidence and trust they would have put into Stephen Schumacher in going, we don't care, he's our man, and actually you know, whisper it quietly, we think he might end up being better than Ryan Lowe. You know, they'll feel justified in that right now because Stephen Schumacher himself has been unbelievable. I think what I like most about him, other than how incredible his team are in the second half of games and and his tactical tweaks and his substitutions seemingly impacting games positively more often than not, which is obviously a great skill, is he seems to have a really nice mixture of authority. It's not hard to imagine him 
owning a dressing room, being on top of a dressing room, disciplining a dressing room, which is clearly what's needed, but also seems really down to earth, like doesn't seem to have the ego that is recognisable in a lot of other EFL managers, the ego that some EFL managers would say you need to have in order to handle the pressure of being an EFL manager. Schumacher feels so happy to be part of a wider um, structure, a bigger team, and is always so keen to give credit to others, such as Neil Dewsnip, uh, the director of football, such as Jimmy Dickinson, such as Market Insights, who have been working with Argyle, I think, for the last five transfer windows, five transfer windows where you have to say, in terms of squad building, they've absolutely smashed it out of the park, and um, particularly using the loan market really well. Um, and, and, and thinking of the squad, George, it's like the star, as we sit here today, is Niall Ennis. He scored in the last three games, big goals, quality goals, goals that have got them over the line. But he's representative of a squad that has been exactly that, has been a team without star players that are clearly head and shoulders over anyone else in terms of importance to their team. First few months of the season, we couldn't stop talking about Barley Mumba. Second few months of the season, we couldn't stop talking about Finn Azaz and Morgan Whitaker. And then Azaz and Whitaker, um, through injury and, and loan recall, weren't available and others stepped up. Uh, Danny Mayer at times has stepped up. Callum Wright in particular in that role, having joined in January. Uh, so many others. I think I think one of the things I'll take a lot from, from Argyle in a squad building sense, still something that I haven't seen done by many other teams, albeit we spoke about it a bit with Barnsley under Val Ishmael once five subs came in, is how they rotate their strikers. They've they've always had this like quad of strikers, all slightly different profiles, but profiles that when paired up can kind of suit different opposition. And they've used the five subs rules and they've used the, the, the substitutions so well to get so much out of a striking unit without any of the strikers themselves having necessarily scored a ton of goals individually. You've got Hardy on 13, Ennis on 12. None of the strikers have started more than 26 games, which when you consider they've played 45, it just flies in the face of, of, of so much of what people think about, you know, who gets you goals, where the goals come from and what's important. Incredible. Just, just a club on and off the field that has people in roles that suit them that have responsibility for doing a certain job and and therefore can focus on doing that and I was lucky enough to go there in October you know I mentioned the board alongside Simon uh, we've been really lucky to have had great support from Trevor East who's a, a titan of sports broadcasting in the UK is on the board at, at Plymouth Argyle has been a great supporter of ours both on Twitter and then um, you know thankfully I've, I've been able to meet Trevor in the last year and he's been uh, unbelievable with his time and with his, his kind of advice but also in giving us some insight into how things work at Argyle and it's unbelievable it's so impressive I think we've said enough now, but uh, we just wanted to make sure that we did that because clearly over the course of a, a nine-month season, there's been a lot of back and forth. There's been a lot of fun had predicting drop-offs, predicting promotions, whatever it may be. It's It's been incredible. And, and the fans as well, in, incredible support, not just in travelling those distances away from home, but the home park atmosphere has been one of the best in the EFL this season. So, you know, as for next season, we'll, we'll do more on that in the future. But Luton's the blueprint, right? And and why couldn't they do similar? Yeah, why not? I agree. And I think that's uh, the most important thing. And you mentioned there kind of the infrastructure at the club. And, I, you know, and, and like a very um, base level, I guess. Like it's it's this season, looking at the playing staff, losing Morgan Whitaker in January, losing their best player, Mike Cooper, the goalkeeper, um, a bit later, and still having the depth in order to continue to progress. And that is kind of the way that 
the best clubs are run. You look at Luton, you look at you know Nathan Jones moving on again, and Rob Edwards coming in and taking the club to, to an even higher echelon, possibly into the Premier League. And that's what I think Argyle have got, where Schumacher is going to be pretty much probably top of, of the wish list, I think, of most kind of big championship clubs now. When, when a big championship job does come up, will they be able to retain him and keep him there? I'm not sure. We've kind of heard in the past that he was very keen to turn down opportunities previously um, in order to stay at Argyle. So hopefully he is loyal. But I, I would have faith that Plymouth Argyle, if they were to lose Schumacher, would have a, a plan in place or would be able to identify the best person to come in to, to bring him on further. And that, in my mind, is the sign of a progressive side who are going to continue to progress. It's going to be difficult next season, I, I think we should point out. Like, you know, it's an unbelievable achievement what they've managed so far in this campaign. But because their budget isn't necessarily um, what we normally see promoted sides out of the, out of League One having in the championship unless there's going to be a big cash injection and of course they got the American investors in fairly recently so there's a fair chance that could happen I guess to bridge that gap um, but I think yeah next season a dose of realism maybe that in my mind now staying up would be would be a great effort in terms of that next stepping stone to success that last 30 seconds is the first bit of the motivation that they need for next season <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm writing them off already uh, how about Ipswich George, Ipswich Town are back in the championship. Ipswich Town will be playing second tier football again. It's been a shorter wait for them to get back to that level. But it is their first promotion as a club since the year 2000. And we were mates early 2000s. And I remember that Ipswich Town team in the Premier League playing in Europe, playing into Milan, an iconic championship manager team as well with Pablo Cunhago and Martin Reiser and Fanidi George. This is their first promotion since then. And boy, have they got a team to be proud of as well. Yeah, they do. And, and I think that this is a classic case. I'm sure Ipswich fans might disagree. Um, but this is a club who have been totally and utterly galvanised and reawoken off the back of a relegation where... It feels obviously the um, the investment from the from the new owner or not so new owner anymore has been played a massive part in this. But it's very hard for me to see an eventuality where Ipswich Town go into a championship season as upwardly mobile, as progressive, as good and united as they are right now, or they will be come um, come August if they never come into League One. You know, their fans have been able to fall in love with their club again, fall in love with their players again, have a manager in Kieran McKenna who has been given the platform and the time over 18 months to build what has been an unbelievable football team. Um, to be sitting on, on 98 points, 99 goals with a game to go this season is an incredible achievement. And you know, I've got to be careful what you say here because I know a lot of people are very um, wedded to the idea that whoever's top of the league are clearly the best team. But in my mind, Ipswich Town are the best team we've seen in League One since we've been doing this podcast, without question, even if they finish second. Um, you know, that the, the construct of, of a points tally at the end of the season is, is fairly meaningless, apart from it is the measure of um, measure of success over the season, but not necessarily a measure of quality. There are other measures of quality as well, as as basic as goal difference, where if you look at Ipswich's goal difference they're quite clearly the team who have been able to um, enforce their superiority over sides to a much higher degree game by game over the course of the season um, when they're at their best they are a team that others can't really live with and you mentioned the rotation of strikers at Argyle it's been the same for the second half of the season where I 
remember saying that I wasn't sure if the likes of Hurst and Broadhead were necessarily the, the players that Ipswich Town needed, where there seemed to be a bit of a lack of creativity. But they've been uh, genius signings in terms of what they've, they've provided. You know, Hurst is someone who is a really clever player, brings others into play so well, offered that bit of, bit of physicality up front. Broadhead is electric in terms of his work rate and his pace in behind and his ability to score goals um, basically across their front line now. And also, I, I, you know, Connor Chaplin has profited massively from having these two. Like, I thought Chaplin's game time was going to be limited due to them coming in. But he's, you know, a player who's now um, quite clearly the informed player in League One. And maybe, in my mind, actually, uh, as I'm saying this, I think definitely if the, if the EFL awards were to be decided and announced this week, I think not only would Connor Chaplin probably be on the shortlist, but I think he'd probably win it. How good were those goals on Saturday? The sort, the, unbelievable, the, the sweetness of the strikes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that's an issue with, I guess, most people in football wanting to hop on a plane as soon as possible after the final whistle on the final game of the season to go on their well-deserved holidays, which means you have to have award ceremonies um, in April. Um, yeah, I mean, they for their fans, it's huge. I am going to call it now that I think. Um, Ipswich Town will be very much in the promotion mix out of the championship next season I, I don't really see why they wouldn't be I think the, the, they've operated at a level of a top half championship side for the last three or four months and, and quite a lot of time before that you know and if you because you know I, as I said I don't want to be disrespectful to our goal and if they if they finish top of the league they will be champions and no one will ever take that away from them but in terms of just you know if, if you were to to, if Ipswich Town were to play most of the championship sides tomorrow, they would be heavy favourites. They went off like four to nine against Rotherham in the in the in the cup. You know they are um, a serious football team who I'm sure will have the uh, support in the summer to strengthen further. And having had a few swings and misses in terms of recruitment, um, whoever's been making the decisions over the last twelve months has, has been doing it pretty effectively because. Uh, in an era post-Brexit where, and this might be changing soon if the, if the FA's um, uh, suggestions to change the, the, the rules comes into force, but as an EFL club right now, with the, the Brexit rules in place, it's quite hard, I think, to get a head start. And it's fitting, therefore, that you know, Argyle, who've done it, who are streets above town in terms of their ingenuity, in terms of the, the transfer market, because the, the cash isn't available to them. But the two best teams in League One, uh, identifying talent and getting the deals over the line, are finished are going to finish first and second in some order, and um, and that is where these teams have to find an edge over the course of the, the summer to get there again. They have won thirteen of their last fourteen games with an aggregate score of forty three to two, a plus forty one goal difference in just fourteen games. Uh, I've absolutely loved following this team. I was going to say since Kieran McKenna took charge, it's not quite accurate. Since probably four weeks after Kieran McKenna took charge, I'd say that's when you really started to sit up and take notice, um, in particular because of the like very clear plan of style of play was like unbelievably notable. It doesn't happen like to that extreme very often in Leagues 1 and, and 2 in particular. Um, it was very clear early on that the patterns of play were going to be very specific. We're going to be possession heavy. We're going to be all about rotations. We're going to be, you know, n nominally defenders rocking up in, in very advanced positions and midfielders moving all over the place, pulling teams apart. But they really struggled to score goals last season. Uh, it was the defensive numbers. It was the impact that the tweak in style had 
on how amazing they were defensively that was the most notable, right? So they only conceded 13 goals in 24 games under McKenna last season after he took charge. Uh, and that's more or less maintained. There was one period of the season where they suddenly looked a little bit wobbly. The goalkeeper had a few errors. The defenders had a few individual errors. But generally, this team has barely let other teams lay a glove on them over the course of this season. And the goals followed eventually in the second half of the season, again, after a period where it felt like, I don't know, it felt like they were under some sort of curse. Uh, and a lot of the points that they dropped during that wobble were games in which they had 30 shots to the opposition's five and lost 1-0 or drew 1-1. Uh, it's it's an amazing team. It's been an amazing season. And I don't disagree with you. I think their upwards momentum is, is incredible. I think the potential for them to be a properly good championship team immediately is there. Of course, it's worth waiting to see what happens over the summer, but I think we can be pretty confident, as you've mentioned, that, you know, why would the core of this team, not the Loneys, Hurst, who you wouldn't be surprised if you wanted to go back there and be a part of things, um, but why would the core of this team um, not want to be there next season? And it feels like there'd be scope for them to add, you know, some fairly ambitious signings, two or three or four, probably all that's needed on top. Um, whereas an Argyle will be doing so with a smaller budget and also losing some pretty key loanees themselves. Um, I think there's a bullishness about Ipswich Town. There's a confidence about Ipswich Town, which is going to put a lot of noses out of joint. I dare say it already has put a lot of noses out of joint, but I quite like it. I think it's pretty powerful and I'm really looking forward to seeing how they go next season. Um, yeah, not just the players. You know, they didn't waste much money in the summer, although they did spend a fair bit. Um they got the Flynn Downs uh, sell-on fee uh, after his big move to, to West Ham and they barely wasted a penny of that. You know, they, they signed not just players that have fired them to, to promotion, but also those who, who will keep growing, will keep developing, young enough to keep going. I think a lot of players that people think are going to be very comfortable stepping up to championship football, the likes of Harry Clark, Broadhead, Leif Davis, for example. So um, pretty amazing season from both of those teams. I think it was only fair to spend a, a big chunk of the start of this pod uh, on them. We will now go through the rest of, of League One. Those were, were the big stories, really, George. Let's just look at the playoff picture. Um, Shrewsbury nil, Sheffield Wednesday three. They've recovered to an extent Wednesday in the last couple of games to, to do their bit and win a few games. Uh, Michael Smith's hat-trick here was brilliantly taken. They're on 93 points and they will not be automatically promoted. It seems incredibly unfair. Uh, and actually, you had an interesting day or so on Twitter the other day talking about Sheffield Wednesday and their manager, Darren Moore. Uh, I'd love to hear you expand on that for the, the benefit of the pod listeners who don't follow you on Twitter. You tweeted, Darren Moore's Sheffield Wednesday could finish this season with 96 points and not be promoted. That's bad luck. Not bad management. Uh, talk me through that statement uh, and the discussion that that came from it, and what you've kind of what you've heard, what you've learned, what you think. I think some people misread that to mean that it's bad luck that has meant that Sheffield Wednesday aren't going to be promoted in terms of the actual luck within games. Whereas the point is more that ninety three points in a normal season, well ninety six points if they win their their game on final day, which I reckon they probably will, um, is always basically going to be enough to get you promoted. And if this was a normal season and Darren Moore, Sheffield Wednesday finished on 96 points and probably won the league and we're probably 15 or 12, 10 points clear of, of third. No one is going to focus on the, the poor run. It's the 23 match unbeaten run that will get all the attention and Darren Moore will be hailed as a genius. Um, football is, is very outcome focused and that's, that's right. You know, at the end of the day, you are setting out at the beginning of the season to achieve something 
But, you know, if you apply this logic to your own work or your own life, if you go and do something that you feel is up to the level needed in order to achieve, which more on Wednesday absolutely have done, and the reason why you don't achieve it is because of external factors or other circumstances, in this case, Argyle and Ipswich being two of the greatest teams we've seen at this level in a long time in terms of their points tallies, two of the best ever, then it's hard to lay the blame down at Darren Moore's door. Now, I understand, obviously, again, that um, in the position they were in with the games in hand and the points gap between them and the, and the next two teams, it, it isn't great. Um, the way that these runs and the way that fixtures fall dictates this, where outcome bias is a massive thing. And if you look at Ipswich previously in the season, they had similar runs, similar really poor uh, stretches of games where they didn't pick up the points that they needed and yet we're sitting here with Wednesday fans calling for Darren Moore to go and Kieran McKenna being hailed by many as one of the brightest talents in, in management and yet they're only separated by four points. Um, so that's kind of my point mainly is, is just that um, I feel a little bit sorry for Moore that his shortcomings at time and, and of course like he deserves blame for and, and the, the finger pointed at him for some abject performances you know the, the 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 Forest Green one obviously sticks in the mind a lot but there was also squandering leads against Oxford squandering the lead against Cheltenham in that run it, you know it wasn't good enough there's no denying that um, but normally there is somewhere to hide for head coaches and managers if the achievement if the points tally is good enough Whereas Moore has nowhere to hide because despite the points being being very good, um, they've, they've fallen short. I, I do think they seem to have, you know, um, put whatever was going on. Uh, and also injuries played a massive part. I should mention that too. You know, they had key players out for long stretches of, 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 of time. We had Barry Bannon out over the turn of the year. Um, then George Byers, who's been out for, for the last few weeks. Josh Windass as well. Like they, losing players at key times has played a massive part in this. Um, and... I've also seen a lot of people questioning the January transfer window and the lack of reinforcements that were brought in. I always find it quite weird that Darren Moore is is the person who is blamed with this when there is a head of recruitment at Sheffield Wednesday. And Darren Moore, um, Peter Lerman tweeted quite a good thread on Twitter in, in, in one of these conversations of just loads of quotes from Darren Moore over the course of January, basically saying we want to bring players in, they have to be the right players, right? There's no point playing, bringing in players for, for the sake of it, correct? Um, and in hindsight, because it hasn't been done, suddenly people are saying, why did Moore refuse to bring in players? Well, that's not the case. You know, the, the, the aim was there to do so. He's not the person who is fully in charge of um, identifying these players. He's absolutely not the person whose job it is to get these deals over the line. So um, my guess is that he will be, he will share the frustrations of many Wednesday fans about the um, need to have played, you know, players who, uh, squad players who haven't really performed um, in that important run. You and I spoke when we were walking from my car to uh, our seats at the Oxford Cheltenham game the other day, said that we both thought that... Great car. Yeah, thank you. Uh, quite messy at the moment. So you left your water bottle in the in the car door, which is a bit annoying. Yeah. We both said that at the time we thought Barnsley were probably the team that we um, saw as being the, the likely winners in the, the League One playoffs. And... I mean, I guess part of this is because Barnsley since they haven't played that well, but I, 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 what I'm seeing at the, again from Sheffield Wednesday at the moment in the last few games, like way more dogged defensively, creating plenty of chances, have that kind of pizzazz about them again. Um, I think they are going to go into 
the playoffs as favourites with the bookies, I think probably in my mind as well. They're going to finish a long way clear of Barnsley in, in fourth place. Um, and if it is going to be Derby in that sixth spot, then that is Sheffield Wednesday against Derby over two legs in the League One playoffs is as box office as it's going to get. Well, the mad thing is that Sheffield Wednesday are playing Derby on final day and it's the likely playoff semi-final at this stage, but it certainly isn't set in stone. Sheffield Wednesday will finish third. They will play against sixth, but we don't know who that will be just yet. There's also a very good chance that it will be Bolton against Barnsley. We'll talk about Barnsley's mental game against MK Dons in a second during the relegation chat. But Bolton beat Fleetwood 2-0. They secured their playoff spot and that midweek defeat at home to Accrington, which was somewhat alarming, thankfully can be swiftly forgotten about as they uh, get themselves ready and and have a nice little weekend uh, without jeopardy to get themselves ready for a couple of weeks' time where they'll be in the playoff semi-final, likely playing against Barnsley. They could still be caught. Uh, they don't. They won't necessarily definitely finish fifth because Derby are two points behind them on 76 and Posh are two points behind them on 74. George, these two teams both drew a Derby at home to Portsmouth, uh, equalising through James Collins after Colby Bishop had scored a, a lovely header to make it 20 for the season. A brilliant debut campaign in a Pompey shirt for Colby Bishop. It wasn't the ideal result for Derby, to be honest. Thankfully, not too damaging because Posh couldn't do the business against Bristol Rovers. A nil or draw, they absolutely peppered the gas goal, but they couldn't score. So Peterborough definitely need to win at Barnsley on final day and hope that Derby lose at Sheffield Wednesday. Or if Peterborough get a big win at Barnsley, three goals or more, uh, and a Derby draw, they could still get above them. Uh, they would be above them on goals scored if the goal difference is the same. Um, so that is a big target for Peterborough. It's clear they need to win at Barnsley and, and realistically they need to win probably by three goals or more. Uh, it's it's all set up pretty nicely, isn't it, for final day, George? There, there should be some drama in that last playoff spot battle at the very least. Yeah, there should be. Um it's interesting to note, I, I hadn't actually seen the quotes, but in the um, ITV highlight show, the, um, I can't remember who it was who was doing the voiceover for the MK Dons Barnsley game mentioned that Mike Duff had said before the game that it was important that they continued a high level of um, competitiveness in, in, you know, in like justification and fairness to other teams in the league, which is probably not what Peterborough fans wanted to hear. Um, and I guess they carried that through in terms of what they did, which we'll get onto, I'm sure, when we talk about the relegation picture in a second. Um but yeah, I mean, there'll be massive frustration, I think, from both uh, Derby fans and posh fans where they had real opportunities here to um, put themselves in the box seat. Well, in Derby's case, if Derby had managed to find a late winner, having scored a late equaliser, then they would be, um, it would all be secured. They'd be in the playoffs now uh, with a game to spare. Um, and as you say, for Peterborough, who dominated the game against Bristol Rovers and were just unable to find that finishing touch. Um, both teams will look at the other one and think, well, they dropped points. If we had won this, we'd have been in a, in a much better position. Um, Posh have the, uh, well, I mean, both have incredibly difficult games going into to final day. Um, as we said, we can be pretty confident, I think, off the back of those quotes. So that's right, the Duff will play a pretty strong side. We don't know if Darren Moore will look to, now that the automatic promotion is gone, will look to rotate or look to bring in, uh, take certain players out to give them a rest before the playoff campaign. Um, maybe that is more likely. Um, but yeah, it should be should be exciting to see who can, who can break in, um, even if both will be licking their wounds a little bit after the weekend. Okay, keep an eye on that next Sunday, midday, final day, kicks off and... 
most of the focus will be on the relegation scramble, uh, George. But Oxford United can be relaxed. What was everyone worried about? Obviously, they were going to rattle off two wins, seven goals scored, zero conceded. Uh, we were at the 4-0 win against Cheltenham in midweek and the relief was, was pretty palpable. And the, you know, what was our analogy at the start of the season always? Like the, when you take the top off, a shaken Coke bottle and everything just flies out. It's a bit like that against Cheltenham. Once the first goal went in, um, two, three, four, and then here at Forest Green, one, two, three. Tyler Goodrum looking like a bit of a star out of the academy. And and I just wanted to ask you quickly, really, um, about the vibe one week later where the pressure's gone, the jeopardy's gone, Oxford will be a League One team next season. And I guess the conversation about fans is like, wow, Liam Manning's been great Liam Manning's been exactly what we needed and maybe we're quite excited to support a Liam Manning Oxford United next season so it's a big change in vibe yes I think the fan base is certainly united behind Madding, Manning and I think the way that him and uh, his assistant Chris Hogg have conducted themselves both in terms of the you know the the media it's always quite a weird situation with Oxford where there aren't many League One or League Two sides who basically have a, a local radio station that's just dedicated to them b- b- because Oxford are the only um, you know professional outfit in the EFL. Uh, it means there's probably more media scrutiny on them than other similarly sized clubs, um, and I think a lot often managers get kind of caught out by that. Uh, I think Manning's dealt with it incredibly well. Um, the fan base are absolutely behind him, and um, I think a lot of but there is still a lot of frustration and anger at both the chairman, Grant Ferguson, um, and the CEO, Tim Williams, around what was perceived to be negligence in terms of taking an incredibly long time to uh, change the manager, which in hindsight now just looks baffling. Uh, The negligence in terms of coming off the back of two disastrous transfer windows, going into January knowing exactly what was needed. You look back at Oxford's window now in January, and the players that were brought in were Atif Konate, who played a couple of times and hasn't been seen since. Tyler Smith, who has barely played a minute, and Brandon Fleming, who's been the best of a pretty bad bunch by being like a a, a utility left-sided player that comes on with 10 minutes to go in games. And Matty Taylor was sent out on loan to a, a relegation uh, rifle in the last few minutes of, of the window. Um, it was being labelled as our most important window in a long time, and there was a total failure to do anything about it. Since then, Mark Thomas, um, the head of recruitment, has moved to Derby, and um, rather than replacing him with somebody else, he's been replaced by Ed Waldron, who was his kind of assistant. Um, So there's going to be a lot of scrutiny now over um, the people making the decisions behind the scenes as to whether or not that was the right decision. I think there is a lot of trust in Manning. But let's remember that Manning didn't have a lot of say at MK Dons about the players coming in because of the model that he worked under. So this is new territory for him where I'm pretty sure he's going to have a massive say in terms of identifying players and targets um, going forward this summer. So on the playing side of things, I think everyone's happy and excited going forward. Um, But in terms of the decision-making side of things, apart from the decision to bring in Liam Manning, which is popular, there are a lot of question marks around as to whether or not there is um, enough football operations experience behind the scenes. Insanity at Stadium MK when Barnsley came to town and Barnsley went ahead and then MK Don scored four goals without reply. Well, there was actually a reply. That's a stupid thing to say. MK Don scored four goals to go forward up with 20 minutes to go and a Barnsley team just more or less chilling out at this stage hit them with one, two, three, to equalise four all. Absolutely incredible. 
and I'm afraid incredibly poor to not see it out from there. And it means that MK are now not in control of their own destiny. They go to Burton on Sunday, but they might start that game in the bottom four, even though they're not there as we record. Because, George, Cambridge beat Accrington 2-1. Cambridge play Burton away in midweek. It's now somehow in Cambridge's hands. And let me also chuck into the mix that Morecambe were 2-0 down to Lincoln. They were going to be relegated for the first time in the club's history. And then Cole Stockton turned into Roy of the Rovers <laughs> again. Again. To win that game 3-2. So how do you make sense of this relegation battle right now? This was incredible. Um, this was the high, the highest of drama um, taking place on Saturday afternoon. And... Um, you know, you know, and listeners to the um, pod will know that I'm not a huge fan of, of the way that the modern day football fan uses the word bottle and bottle jobs. But it's hard not to think that MK Dons have kind of bottled this a little bit when you're 4-1 up at home, having been 1-0 down, scoring four quick goals up against a side with little to play for. But as I mentioned, with Duff very much um, stressing the, the idea that um, he wanted his team to, to maintain a high level of performance. And to squander it in the way that they did, um, it, it's hard to get away from an idea of, of some mental fragility there, where MK were basically sitting in such a dominant position. You know, it made me think, like, imagine you and I sitting at the at the Kazam Stadium on Tuesday, at 4-0 up, it never crossed my mind that Cheltenham could possibly come back and draw the game 4 all. Like, MK fans are sitting at the stadium there thinking, well, we are safe. We are safe. Like, this is it. We're 4-1 up, Morecambe are losing. This is it. We're, we're, we're going to stay up only to totally capitulate and um, you know Max Waters who hasn't had a great time in his loan spell at Barnsley scoring twice against the side against the club where he was on loan last season had a very good loan spell for the first six months of the campaign before being recalled um, it's just a, a total mess and it doesn't help you know they, they could have got away with it they could have got away with a point had Morecambe continued to to to, um, to lose but Cole Stockton just has this incredible knack of pulling out remarkable feats of skill and his first goal is one of these flying kind of kung fu kick volleys that loops over the keeper into the back of the net even the goal that the wins it the 3-2 goal is a header he's the, he's the near the, the first man off, off a free kick he's a good like 18 yards out and headers it headers it into the top corner um unbelievable from Morecambe to, to pull that off but then they look at Cambridge, who go to Accrington and, and get a massive three points, which means that even though Morecambe won the game, as you say, if Cambridge do go to Burton in midweek and win that one, then they are the team, given um, they play Forest Green at home on final day. You have to think that if Cambridge can beat Burton midweek, then MK Dons and Morecambe are going to need a miracle because it would be very hard not to see Cambridge go ahead and win that. So... A win would give them two points more than MK and Morecambe heading into final day. A draw would draw them level on points with MK and Morecambe, um, with MK having a significantly better goal difference than the three. Six better than Cambridge and eight better than Morecambe. So uh, it, it's this stage of the season where I get a bit annoyed when there's games in hand, like the the midweek before final day. But also it does add like quite a fun little wrinkle to things. I think it's, it's fun. I, I, I think it's good for the leagues as well, where... Um... We're going to have on Wednesday night a lot of people, you know, following the 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 Burton Cambridge game, and rightly so. It's a massive game. Um, but for, yeah, as I was going to say, just for MK, I, I really feel for them where or their fans where 
Um, that run of gate, that the run of wins a few weeks ago looked like it got them out of the mess. Um, nobody, I don't think, could have predicted or anticipated that Oxford, Cambridge, Morecambe would all go on this run of, of, of wins and picking up points the way they have done that, that suck MK back into it. Um, but when you're 4-1 up at home and you're nearly safe, you, you cannot drop off and let, let the opposition back in as they did. Um, and I fear for them. I, I think right now, I think there's there's no denying the team who are likeliest to stay up is Cambridge United. Mm. Well, one team, unfortunately, uh, albeit not quite yet mathematically, but in reality have been relegated and that's Accrington Stanley. Accrington are relegated in everything but pure mathematics. Um, and it's, it's sad, George. It's a five-year stint in League One. Even getting to League One was an incredible achievement. Even punching above their weight to be towards the top of League Two is an incredible achievement for Accrington Stanley. They've been one of the great EFL stories of the last decade or two, um, but they will suffer relegation now. And feel a bit sorry for, for John Coleman. Uh, really, you know, you lose last summer Ross Sykes, one of your best centre backs. You lose Matt Butcher, one of your best midfielder. You lose Colby Bishop a striker that has scored 20 league goals for another team in League One this season. Uh, before then, six months before, you lost Dion Charles, a striker who is going to score possibly 20 goals this season for another team in your uh, league. You know, the the constant uh, summer churn of trying to replace talented players that you've given a platform to, that you have, in many cases, introduced to senior professional football uh, and then had to sell on. Uh, it's very, very difficult and the reality is set in this season. I, I think compared to last season and the seasons before where they've generally finished mid-table or, or sort of upper bottom half, they didn't get the good start. They didn't get the strong start that they've had in the last few years. And the, the sort of what I would dis- describe as the Blitzkrieg approach, uh, which they had in 21-22, a season in which they had the most shots in League One total in last season, mostly set-piece shots from range, but it, it worked. It was too much for some teams. Maybe this season, teams are a little smarter to it. Teams understand what's going to happen a little bit better. And they haven't been able to find any other way of, of hurting teams. And, well, even when they were good going forward, they were poor defensively. Most open play goals conceded last season. Second most this time. Uh, not not quite enough to keep them up. So they'll be in League Two next season. And just a quick one, George, on, you know, you have people... We had a message on the squad the other day saying, do you think, do you think John Coleman should stay? Or do you think they should, you know, try and refresh the whole thing? I... For me, it's it's pretty simple that they have to stick with Coleman. Uh, he he's the one that could keep a, a you know a sort of level hand on things and make sure that they don't spiral like all of the four League One relegated teams have done last season. I think they've got to stick with him. Yeah, so do I. If he wants it, I think um, he, he will stay, and I'm sure he will want to to, to do so. Um, I do wonder. I mean, Accrington managed to really expose kind of a, a corner of the market in terms of the, the transfer window being very good at recruiting from kind of Premier League two cast-offs, basically. And I do wonder if maybe with, with other teams in the EFL having to shop in those in those ponds, maybe that has um, meant that they have struggled to, to be as proficient at finding young talent as they had been previously. Um, but the, the biggest compliment you can, play, you can pay Atkinson Stanley is how you know, this comes as a bit of a surprise, basically. If you look at pre-season predictions, where they were in the betting markets and the rest of it, um, they weren't widely touted to get relegated. And when they still have one of the lowest budgets in the division, that just goes to show how much um, respect Coleman has has kind of instilled in the footballing world around Accrington Stanley. Uh, and I think if he's there next season, you know, I, I, I hope and I don't think we'd be looking at a, a candidate for, a, a you know, a, another season of struggle. I'm sure he'll be able to, to um, arrest the slide and... You know, it might be another case where 
in terms of recruitment, they're they're better off playing at a lower level in order to to bring in the players they need, and and you know maybe they'll they'll be back in League One fairly soon. Uh, elsewhere on the beach, uh, Wickham lost three 0 at home to Cheltenham. Uh, not great for the Adams Park faithful. Their last home game of the season, and they've kind of limped towards the end of the season, falling away from the playoff picture. And uh, yeah, they'll I think there'll be a lot of intrigue and maybe a bit of concern as to how they might look come August. It's a big summer. Matt Bloomfield needs to get his imprint on things. It's famously not a club that has a large staff and a large support structure for the manager. So there'll be a lot of hard work at Wickham this summer to make sure that um, come the start of next season, they're in better shape than they finish this one. For Cheltenham, just good to get this big away win after a pretty embarrassing display at at the Cass in midweek. This was uh, much better. Uh, And May in April, Alfie, five goals in April, five goals in March. He's one away from 20. It'd be great to see him reach that uh, on final day. Charlton beat Port Vale 3-2, entertaining fair at the Valley. Uh, The last home game for Jez Raksaki, surely one of the most popular loanees you're likely to see. Uh, Signed off with a a wonderful solo goal. It means that in the last 10, five goals, six assists. uh, His transfer saga this summer is going to be amazing. Every single club in the championship should be after him. Uh, Miles Lieburn got his 12th of the season. Uh, 12 goals, age 19, 0.62 goals per 90. Brilliant debut season from him. Uh, And we saw first goal from a a Vale youngster as well, uh, James Plant, notching in this one. League two, George, we thought we might have two promotions to celebrate. We don't. We got one. And it's Steve Evansonage. Stevenage two, Grimsby Town nil. They've done it. They've got over the line. One year ago, or just over a year ago, March 22, Steve Evans was appointed. Stevenage were 22nd in League 2, teetering above the relegation zone. Three points above it. They hadn't won in nine. Famously joint favourites for relegation in the summer. Famously, some people saw the potential. And here we are, a couple of days left of April, when they secured promotion to League 1 with a game to spare. What a season and what a job Steve Evans has done. Um... This is his eighth promotion, which is wow. a titanic, heroic effort from a man, a much maligned manager. Um, you know, there is no denying, and I'm not gonna um, argue with why he's not some people's cup of tea. But in terms of, of getting results and, and just being a, a good fit at certain clubs and being able to recruit players to play a certain way, um, there are very few that are better than him. Um, they. For the first half of the season, were, were in my mind the best team in the league. I think they were probably the best team in the league up until they beat Orient three 0 And I'm not entirely sure what happened there because that should have been, you know, they were odds on favourites to win the league after that. Um, and they'd just gone and shown how good they could be against their their main rival to do so. Um, and whether it was a bit of a crisis of confidence or they got a bit dizzy um, up at the top, I'm not entirely sure. And it, I, I thought personally because the performances dropped to such a level that I was concerned they wouldn't even end up finishing the top three. But I think the players deserve a massive respect for their ability to, to see out the promotion season whilst not being at their best. I thought they were excellent on Saturday um, in a, a game against awkward opponent in Grimsby, who we know can put in very, very good displays. Um, they, were, they were professional, they got the job done, they weren't really tested. Um, and, you know, given what their fellow promotion hopefuls um, had to endure on Saturday it's not an easy thing to do but when you've got a manager in the dugout who's been there and done it so many times that certainly helps um, they you know they're going to be uh, an interesting addition to, to League One next season um, but 
yeah, I mean, just an amazing achievement, an amazing campaign. And, and I think it's important that we stop and, and again, remember where they've come from in order to get this, which, as you mentioned, was very nearly from returning back to non-league to now being a League One side. He knows how to build a football team that wins games. Uh, he knows how to build a football team that is a threat on the opposition goal and keeps the opposition at bay. Uh, Stevenage have taken the most shots per game in League Two this season and they have faced the fewest shots per game in League Two this season. That is a pretty heady combo. Um, and it's nice to look back at my pre-season research document, uh, sort of key notes on each team, uh, looking at Stevenage. For me, they are a big riser. I think they'll have a defined style and it may not be to everyone's taste. I think they're going to massively shithouse this league and I think there's a, a chance it could work very well. Uh, expect them to tighten up considerably and I probably have higher hopes than most for a front line of Norris, Rose, Reed, and List. Set-piece goals, question mark, 15 plus. Well, George, uh, three players in double figures, Norris and Reed. And then Roberts didn't pick him pre-season. 17 set-piece goals, so indeed 15-plus. And I'd say it's probably fair to say that there's an extent to which they have shit-housed the league. So um, very impressive. Jamie Reid, uh, 10 goals for the season, but some of them have been massive goals as well. And um, one of them here. So my only request to those who are running Stevenage is please don't overextend yourself financially. Heading up to League One, I could see it being very exciting. But please don't overextend yourself financially because that can be problematic. Uh, George, we don't have two autos promotion uh, celebrations because Northampton lost at home to Bradford. So we are going to final day for the third automatic promotion spot in League Two. It was a late winner from Critchlow, which there's an argument it didn't matter that much for Northampton's scenario because... Again, if they beat Tramere, they'll be promoted. But it brings Bradford massively into play uh, if they can beat Crew in midweek. So this really could be pretty exciting in League Two. It really is. And, you know, I said a second ago, I feel sorry for MK Dons fans. Well, that doesn't compare to how sorry I feel for Cobblers fans at the moment, who, let's remember, last season had to endure that ridiculous game with Bristol Rovers winning 7-0 in order to snatch promotion out of um, Cobbler's grasp. And here, you know, it, it's 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 of their own doing, where, you know, a against Bradford, obviously a difficult game, and I didn't think there was too much wrong with Cobbler's performance on the, on the day necessarily, um, but on a day where they could have secured um, their promotion up into League One, um, had they um, had they won the game, um, they are now facing up to uh, a really... Tough trip to Tranmere, where um, they're probably going to have to win that because Stockport themselves have a game uh, as easy a, a game as you could really wish for at the moment, where they host Hartlepool. Um, I think we can all anticipate with Hartlepool having now been relegated, as we'll get onto in a second. Um, that should be a fairly easy three points for, for Stockport. And given Stockport have a better goal difference than Cobblers, that means Cobblers have to win because a draw would leave them level on points for Stockport with a better goal difference. And then, as you mentioned, Bradford also could come into this should they uh, win in their midweek game, their game in hand that is left um, away at Crew, then they'd host Leighton Orient. And in my mind, they'll beat Leighton Orient because I think we saw again over the weekend that Leighton Orient, having been crowned as champions, have have bigger fish to fry or um, at least just don't really want to be there now. Um, the season is, is over for them. So it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be... Um, but Bradford, of course, will have to rely 
they are going to get in the top three on Stockport um, not winning on final day. So that is their issue, um, especially given the, the way that the game falls. Um, but Bradford also in quite a weird position where if they were to, to lose that game in midweek, um, then suddenly they'd be only three points ahead of Mansfield with a, a surmountable goal difference um, difference, where at the moment there's four goals different. If they did lose a midweek against Crew, then there would be at least three, possibly two, possibly even less. And then that could be a swing. So that is how tight it is in League Two right now, that we are sitting here with Bradford City being a team who could finish in the automatic promotion places and could also fall out of the playoffs altogether with only one game left to play for the majority of the league. Don't often hear the word surmountable, do you, without its un, without its little hat on, its little un. I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. Maybe that's it. Are you a surmountable guy or an unsurmountable guy? Mm, I'm surmountable, for sure. I'd I say so. You're very much. A lot of pressure on Cobblers away at Tranmere. The funny thing is that, like, obviously the ghost of last season looms large, but they did what they needed to do on final day last year. The pressure was on them then, and they beat Barrow 3-1. In fact, to finish last season, they won four and drew one of the last five. They got 13 points from five games. Uh, Equally, this season, they have done the opposite of bottling up to this point. They have finished the season much stronger than most of the teams around them. Um, and, and that's why they've been in this position. So it's it's kind of weird. They have they have always stood up to testing situations on the pitch in the last 13 months. I mean, you could argue that the first leg of the semi-final of the playoffs was a bit disappointing, but it, it was no bottle job. Uh, I don't think there's any real reason not to trust them to get it done against Tranmere. But it's still going to be super nervy. Um, Stockport hot on the tail. You'd, you'd think that they'll beat Hartlepool, who who come to town. Hartlepool's relegation confirmed. We'll touch on that in a second. Very routine win uh, at Leighton Orient for Stockport. Um, just wanted it more from set pieces. Uh, Orient got their trophy, though, and had a lovely afternoon in the sun. Uh, Charlie Kelman's quote that they used on ITV highlights really tickled me. Uh, out tonight, out tomorrow night, probably Monday too. I <laughs> know. <laughs> You're into day three. And I think you're probably, what are we, 10 past 12? Yeah, probably probably getting on your first drink at this stage. If you don't start now, you, you might never make it out today. So good luck, Charlie uh, and Orient. I hope you're enjoying this weekend as you deserve to. And then the big one, mate, was Carlisle Salford. And, well, what was going to be the stronger thing here? The fact that Salford's away games are always absolute bonkers or the fact that Carlisle's games are almost always nil-nil or one-nil? Uh, it turns out it was the, the bedlam strand uh Salford's last six away games have seen 13 goals be scored after the 80th minute so more than twice a game there's been a goal after the 80th minute eight for them five for the opposition we had both here mate uh Carlisle coming back from 2-0 down to level things at 2-2 scoring a penalty uh, in an incident in which John Mellish one of their key men got sent off for violent conduct which means he'll be banned for three games and then Salford were able to win it uh, at the end as well Bolton for them, it's just been in stunning form in the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard not to. I think it's hard to talk about the relevance of this result without mentioning the Mansfield result because that kind of tells a story for both of these sides, where Mansfield uh, at home to Harrogate were beaten two one, despite creating. It. I mean, they were two 0 down, and then it was an absolute onslaught um, with Oxley making a string of, of brilliant saves to Harrogate, uh, and that means that this result for for Salford is absolutely huge because with Mansfield losing their game uh, that now means that it's incredibly unlikely um, Mansfield will, will be able to push their way in um, Salford have a better goal difference to them and a three points clear of them meaning that a solitary point on final day at home to Gillingham will see them get into the top seven 
it's also massive for Carlisle and it's massive for John Mellish. Like he will have been, <laughs> I don't know if he'd been aware of what was going on at the time, um, but had Mansfield got an equaliser, that would have put Carlisle's position into quite a perilous one. Um, going into fi- final day away at Sutton, um, they would have been two points ahead um, of Mansfield, had Mansfield equalised, but now the, the gap is currently three. There's an eight goal um, swing needed. It's unlikely to happen. Carlisle should be, it's not mathematically done, but should be into the top seven. Um, mindless from Mellish. I mean, that's kind of my main thing here, where you're 2-1 down at home and you've just been awarded a penalty with 10 minutes to go. And Elliot Watt, probably the smallest player on the pitch, kind of shoves you and you're quite a big lad. Don't, in front of the referee, push over um, the guy where he's now got a three-game ban. Um, it's fair to assume that had Mellish not been sent off, the game may not have finished 3-2, in my mind. You know, it's 10 against 11 for the last five or 10 game, minutes of the game. And now Mellish will be missing for both playoff semi-finals with a three-game ban. Like, he's been a massive player for them um, over the last couple of seasons. He's so important to what they do at both ends of the, of the pitch. And I think he's let uh, he's let Simpson and the team and the fans down uh, by doing that. And it could have a, a really big impact on their season. For for Salford, as you say, Bolton, I mean, the the, the goal for, to win it was a an unbelievable strike. Callum Hendry got the first, who's also in great form. The way that Salford play... I think lends itself to to being pretty good in a in a playoff situation where um, they believe in their ability to to score uh, at any time. Um, they're never beaten, and they've got key players coming to form at a pretty good time. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw. Uh, yeah, I mean th- this could easily be one of the playoff semis. Um, albeit that would mean that Bradford would be able to usurp them, but we'll see. It's a bit like Barre in the Championship. They are incredible going forward probably the best team in the league going forward at the moment Salford defensively pretty worrying some of that is like a tactical choice that you know that those that's the way they want games to be they want space all over the pitch uh, so you know so that they can attack into some space but yeah I mean at centre-back is certainly a weak spot for, for Salford at the moment which would be something of a concern uh, and Mansfield well you said it highly unlikely that they will extend their season into the playoffs now and it's it's incredibly frustrating for their fans. Uh, they've lost back-to-back games at a point in the season where you can't afford to do that. And just sort of underlining the reasons why, although there have been times where I've been excited about them after certain wins and certain performances, overridingly, overridingly, God, this always happens with five minutes left. Why do I always make up a word with five minutes left? Um, I, I've I've never really trusted them. I don't trust them. I find them a weird team. I find it confusing that such a... A man with such experience in Nigel Clough, who is also a very calm man, who I don't see as a, an overly emotional type. I find it confusing that his Stags team seem more chaotic than most at the level, looser than most at the level, uh, more prone to like really poor performances and just not being able to 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 consistently perform at a high level. I find it very weird. Now, it's worth acknowledging that they are the second top scorers in the league. So again, there's an extent to which being a bit open defensively has served them going forward. But overall, I think this looseness, this lack of solidity is to their detriment rather than being a net positive. And it means that they are very, very hard to trust. And Harrogate made the most of it. So, you know, the fact he's making four subs at half time in match 45, it just doesn't reflect very well for me. So if they don't make it, I think there's quite a lot of soul searching to be done this summer um, for Mansfield Town. It will be a, another season where 
they haven't succeeded in their key objective, which is winning promotion, and, and they have thrown a lot of money at it over the last well, half a decade now. So not quite good enough. They, they've got to go to Colchester and, and hope for a miracle, really. Um, Alagbe, by the way, Kazim Alagbe on loan from Salah. Um, from Southampton to Harrogate, he's had a great end to the season. And I think, similar to Raksaki, he'll be a highly sought-after loanee next season. The other big thing to discuss is Hartlepool's relegation having been confirmed. Despite beating Barrow 3-1, Crawley's nil-all draw with Walsall means that Pools drop out of the EFL after two seasons back at the level. And you sort of look back, you zoom out, you try and work out what's happened here. Um, two key things for me. Dave Challoner's departure. Uh, he must have had a feeling that the good times that he had experienced at at, at Hartlepool were not based on a, a firm foundation because he was happy to leave and drop down a level to join Stockport County, who he now has fourth in League Two as Hartlepool drop out, uh, what, 18 months later. Before he left, they had won seven of 14. A great start to that campaign, having won promotion. Since then, 77 league games post Challoner only 16 wins. That's 20%, not enough. And it strikes me a little bit like Blackpool and Neil Critchley in that, like, what do you do when you're enjoying a period of success that seems very likely to be tied to a brilliant and transformative manager? You have to, and I'm sure this is hard, capitalise on that by making sure that when they leave you, you are not left completely in the lurch. Some teams do this better than others. Strikes me that Hartlepool have not done it well. Blackpool have not done it well. Uh, and that has been a big reason why they've suffered relegation. Obviously, that's 18 months ago. So there's more in the interim. Significant player departures in the summer, uh, particularly at the back in Burn and Odessina, but also Molyneux and Bogle going forward. Key contributors leaving. And the summer window, George, was an absolute disaster, both in terms of the managerial recruitment of Paul Hartley and the, and the players that he was bringing in from uh, the Scottish leagues. Just an unmitigated disaster that they, they didn't respond to well. Yeah, Paul Hartley's had a bad year where he's gone back to Cove Rangers, who he he took over, um, who he left when he took over at Hartlepool. And it means that this season, um, Paul Hartley has 28 games, three wins, eight draws, 17 defeats. Um, yeah, I think that says a lot about what happened with Hartlepool in the summer. Um, they identified a manager to take them forward and that they paid the price for that being the wrong decision. Um you know, it does feel in my mind at least that League One, so that League Two hasn't been as uncompetitive as it normally is down towards the bottom end. Normally the teams that get relegated are in an absolute mess on and off the pitch. I know that Hartlepool fans are not happy with the owner. Uh, I know that there is, you know, he's he's seemingly wanting to sell and move on. Um, but it's been, it's been as bad a kind of return to the EFL as we've seen from any non-league club um, where normally... Because the National League is so competitive, it's so difficult to get promoted out of it. The teams, the clubs that do come up are in a pretty good position, both in terms of um, solidity off the pitch and a, a side who are normally capable of, of punching above their weight immediately. As you say, Challoner leaving seems to have, have really stalled that or stopped that. And, and we're seeing how good a manager he can be at Stockport right now. Um, yeah, they... They haven't offered a great deal. Um, they've had, I think, six managers since um, Challoner left. You know, you're going through different profiles in terms of um, the, you know, the, the they tried. The Sweeney's been caretaker twice. They tried the, the double caretaker, but then you look at the managers they've actually appointed, where you've got in Hartley someone north of the border with a decent record, in Curl somebody who's managed 
a lot of EFL seasons with very limited success. Um, in league, you've got a club legend who'd never managed before. Like, there's just no joined up thinking here. And I think Askey's done a pretty decent job. He looks to be the most sensible appointment so far. Um, but it, it's it's almost just a, a bit of a, a a story in my mind as to what can happen to a club when you lose the man who seemingly has the vision and suddenly you're scrambling to, to try and find a way to, to to gain any kind of foothold in the league and they've been unable to mm. do that over a, a long period of time. Well, I certainly miss the, the atmosphere that those fans create uh, at home games and, and wish them well in the National League and, and hope to see you soon. Uh, Crawley have stayed up. Niddle draw with Walsall was enough for them. Uh, job done, but a poor season overall uh, and a huge amount of work to do, bridges to build if the Wagme United lot are sticking around. I'm pretty sure when they joined and they did all those great big statements, I'm pretty sure they said they'd leave if the fans wanted them to. I can't remember the exact time scale on that. I think the fans definitely want them to. There's been a vote of no confidence in the board. So what happens next, uh, we will see. Certainly feels like that ownership group who came in with a lot of noise are now very much tail between their legs. And it's it's hard to see from the outside uh, what their ideas are and how sort of bullish they are about turning things around. Um, I, from my point of view, it seems clear that they tried to do too much, uh, by which I mean, actually, if you take it, a few things individually in terms of their big statements about changing the style of play and the sort of style of play that they wanted to go after in terms of recruiting certain players and the profile of players that they recruited, particularly a lot of inexperience, maybe a lack of um, physical uh, uh, physical attributes, um, which came back to bite them early in the season for sure. Uh, and then also in appointing on top of all that, a very inexperienced manager in Kevin Betsy, who wasn't able to, to put everything in place early on. Uh, a lot of those things individually, George, I, I don't hate. I don't think they are wrong. But maybe you don't do that all in one summer. And maybe you definitely don't do that when you do not have the support structure in place off the field and outside of the dugout to keep things steady if they start poorly, which is what they did. So hopefully lessons have been learned because it kind of feels like they got away with one really here, Crawley. Yes, it does. And and I'm certainly not here to make any excuses for Wagme United. Um, but I would, you know, what I would say is they made an appointment in Scott Lindsay, which was their third managerial appointment in the, of the season, um, that I didn't necessarily see as being a particularly good one. Um, but their record since he took over has been really strong. And um, there's a lot, there's a long way to go to repair the damage that's been done between the fan base and the owners. Um, but on the pitch, there have been significant strides in terms of, of, of the performance levels getting better under Lindsay. There is a fan base who quite clearly have bought into what Lindsay's doing. And therefore, I just think just kind of shutting up a bit is probably the best thing they can do if they are going to stay at the club. Just support the manager by providing the necessary you know funds needed in order to strengthen the squad you know cut it with the the PR stuff and the rest of it like just you know there's a lot of talk about using data and being bright and being innovative that's great 
do that without having to, to to shout about it is kind of in my mind the best thing they can do if they're going to progress forward I know that Crawley fans despite the resurgence uh, still very much wag me out and it's it's something that I'll be in- interested to see how they go in the summer because you would think as well you know Preston Johnson's clearly a pretty intelligent guy you would think that they would have learnt a hell of a lot <laughs> in the last 12 months and it'll be interesting to see them put that into practice you would hope that they have um, loads and loads of dead rubbers as well in League 2 on the weekend so a couple of notes from them crew beat Swindon 2-1 an absolute beauty from Joel Taberner the youngster make sure you check that out uh, on what they call Nick Powell Day <laughs> the the anniversary of Nick Powell's incredible goal at Wembley um, and he wears the same number that Nick Powell wore uh, at Crew Alex so that's pretty exciting Taberner's made his, uh, a first team spot his own and scored some nice goals and, and hopefully will grow into next year uh, next season uh, congrats to crew fan and, and NTT 20 listener Mark Bertels who will not have to get a tattoo of the NTT 20 crest um, <laughs> as part of our 1 to 24's uh, win a season ticket competition uh, Mark said that if crew did indeed finish 20th as we had them or lower he would get a tattoo of the pod crest on his chest um, never in doubt eh Mark I'm sure you weren't worried at any stage here uh, 16th they are crew and might end up the highest uh, team to have been relegated from League One last season, which doesn't reflect very well on those four. Uh, Donny, one of them, they won 1-0. Gillingham, another one, they lost 2-1 to Newport. Uh, Omar Bogle with his 15th goal of the season, going well under Graham Coughlin. Newport finishing strong. Uh, Rochdale, their last home game before they drop out of the Football League, they smashed Sutton 4-1. Uh, and Tranmere won Wimbledon 1 at Wimbledon. I've got that the wrong way around, um, but just sort of reflects how unimportant these games are. Um, I'm afraid Ali Al-Hamadi with his, with his 10th in, in 14, uh, he's won their Player of the Season award despite joining in January, which says a lot about A, his performances, and B, AFC Wimbledon season. Uh, and Sam Taylor, the equaliser for Tramir, a new name for us, a 19-year-old who's just come off the bench a couple of times recently and grabs his first goal. Stay tuned, guys, for... The championship episode tomorrow morning when we've got a bit more clarity on the playoff picture and the relegation uh, picture as we head towards final weekend. We'll be giving Sheffield United and Paul Heckingbottom some flowers after their promotion has been uh, confirmed and we'll be getting very excited for final weekend next Sunday and next Monday are the big days. So make sure that you stay locked to our Twitter account, to the newsletter uh, ntt20.substack.com to the NTT20 squad if you want to give your two-week free trial a go and, and see what that group is like uh, on the big days, the big events. It's unbelievable. I've been enjoying catching up from the weekend. Uh, thank you to George and thank you to you and thank you to Betfair. Go well.